We're just going to move into a, a time of communion now. So can I just thank the worship team for leading us into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So we're right in there, the very throne room of God. Well, welcome everybody. It's great to be together, isn't it? What, a, what an absolute privilege we have to be in the presence of our God. Well, those of you who keep a bit of an eye on the Ignite Life Facebook page would know that I put a post up on, on Friday because Friday the 21st of September was World Gratitude Day. And um, I think that's a pretty good idea to have a day designated for gratitude, although I don't think one day in the year is enough, that actually we need to have an attitude of gratitude every day. It's an interesting thing, you know, that I felt early in the week that God actually wanted me to speak on, on gratitude. And then I discovered World Gratitude Day. And early this morning, I was listening to a podcast. Uh, there's an interesting podcast called Things That You Should Know. And um, I listen to it fairly regularly. And uh, this morning, they interviewed the author of a book. And the title of the book is How to Have a Good Day. Well, the secret that the scientists have discovered after many, many years of painstaking research, these are psychologists, what they've discovered is that the secret of having a good day is gratitude and generosity, by the way. The two Gs, gratitude and generosity. And what they've discovered is that if you can remind yourself at the beginning of every day of three things that you're grateful for, you will have a good day. Because once you've affirmed that there's something to be grateful for, your mind actually locks into the good things and you automatically see good things throughout the day. And if something happens to kind of throw you off course, then the secret to getting back on course in your heart is to think of those three things for which you are grateful again. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? But you see, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he says, rejoice and rejoice always. And the, the idea of rejoicing is a pretty close cousin to gratitude. So the question we're asked on Gratitude Day is, what if today we were just grateful for everything? You know, the Bible exhorts us, in everything give Thanks. In all things give thanks. How can we give things in all things? How can we give thanks in all things? Because we know, we know that our God uses every situation, every experience for our good. It's not the same thing as saying God causes every negative experience, but even the negative experiences God will use for a positive purpose in our lives. There's a, an interesting record in the, in the Bible of ten lepers 
who came to Jesus and they, they begged him to heal them. And they were healed as they were going to the priest to show themselves under Old Testament law. If you had leprosy and claimed that you were healed, you had to go and show yourself to the priest who would then declare, if they were satisfied that you were healed, that you were now clean. So people could touch you. People could have relationship with you. Well, the funny thing was, only one of the ten actually came back and gave thanks to Jesus for healing. Let me read the story for you, and I'm using the Passion Translation. Jesus travelled on toward Jerusalem and passed through the border region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered one village, ten men approached him, but they kept their distance, for they were lepers. They shouted to him, Mighty Lord, our wonderful Master, won't you have mercy on us and heal us? Well, of course, Jesus never refused to heal anybody. When Jesus stopped to look at them, he spoke these words. Go to be examined by the Jewish priests. They set off and they were healed while they were walking along the way. One of them, a foreigner from Samaria, that means he was a Samaritan, when he discovered that he was completely healed, turned back to find Jesus shouting out joyous praises and glorifying God. When he found Jesus, he fell down at his feet and thanked him over and over, saying to him, you are the Messiah. This man was a Samaritan. So where are the other nine? Jesus asked. Now this isn't the wimpy Jesus. This isn't the Jesus meek and mild. This is the Jesus who at this time had a massive ministry and he went about healing and doing good. Where are the other nine? Weren't there ten who were healed? They all refused to return and give thanks and glory to God except you, a foreigner from Samaria. And I've woken up my granddaughter now. I'm sorry, Evangeline, and I'm sorry, Ainsley. <laughs> oh, dear. Then Jesus said to the healed man lying at his feet, Arise and go. It was your faith that brought you salvation and healing. <coughs> you know, I've looked at a lot of different translations of the Bible, just wondering what it was that the ten lepers had just kept going on their way missed out on. And the word used, which is translated salvation and healing in the Passion Version, is the Greek word sozo, which I've mentioned before. And the Greek word sozo, it means both salvation and healing. It has application temporarily, that is, in this life and eternally. So it has application into eternity as well. I wonder what those nine lepers missed out on. I wonder, I wonder if they received their healing, but they were not saved. They who said what? <laughs> they received their healing, but they were not saved. That's a good question. That's a very good question. 
<laughs> I wonder. The um, King James Version of the Bible has Jesus saying to the man, it was your faith that made you whole. Indicating something much more than simply healing of leprosy. A wholeness in body, mind and spirit. <clears throat> and I, I think there's a challenge here for us. And Helen, if you're, you're right, we're ready to pass around the communion. We had a little joke earlier that I'd forget all about it and I'd just keep going. But I didn't forget. I didn't forget. So I just wonder if being grateful for what the Lord has done actually empowers us to enter more fully into that for which we were saved. That, you know what, we can actually go through lives as what I would call Christian consumers. That we, we take our healing, we take our prosperity, but we don't take it with an attitude of gratitude. You're probably sick and tired of me telling you about Evangeline. But I remember being at work not long before Evangeline was, was born, and I was at work a long time before then as well, but <laughs> I was at work... And uh, Evangeline's birth was imminent. And people at work were saying to me, aren't you excited? I said, well, no, I'm not actually excited. And that was the truth because I knew it was always going to happen. But that's not the main point. My main point is this. For me, the overflowing emotion, the overflowing sense I had was one of gratitude. Because here was the manifestation of a long period of standing on God's word in faith. Not just me, but Jeanette and David and Ainsley. One day they will tell you their full story, I'm sure, when they're good and ready. But you, you will be amazed at the role that gratitude has played in their lives and also in our lives. So today, as we take communion, I wonder if we can think of three things for which we are grateful. I, for one, am very grateful that Jesus saved me. I'm pretty certain Jeanette is as well. Because <laughs> I'm not the person I used to be. There are many other things for which I'm grateful. So may I just invite you to take a moment or two and think of three things, knowing that you're going to have a good day afterwards anyway. Three things for which you are grateful. And take communion with an attitude of gratitude. And by the way, that's not a platitude. <laughs> Hallelujah. I was trying to use the word latitude as well. <laughs> Hello, Plonky. <laughs> He's grateful, isn't he, eh? Yeah. Hello. He's going to be a preacher one day. Plonky the preacher, eh? Sounds pretty good. <laughs> Hallelujah. I, um, 
I, I love communion here at Ignite Life Church, and one of the reasons why I love communion here is we all crunch at the same time. <laughs> and I was just thinking, you know, what would it be like if Ignite Life Church sort of grew to the size of Hillsong Church, and we still had the same crackers? <laughs> like, people would be thinking there was an earthquake or something. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Um, yes, Jeanette. Children. Oh, I thought she was going crook on me for saying something. Yeah, that's right. I and mean, that's our topic. When we get carried away. Well, when we get carried away, we forget to release the children. Which, um, and that would be a terrible thing because I know um, Jeanette's worked very hard to prepare for the children today. So, if you want to join Jeanette out in your special area, that would be great. Just a reminder that, of course, uh, 9.30 tomorrow morning, prayer time here at the Ignite Life Community Hub. Uh, I think because it's school holidays, no Wednesday Connect while the school schools are on holidays. Um, that gives us a, a little break as well. So no Wednesday Connect during school holidays. But we'll be back after the holidays. So yes, I want to talk a little bit today about this idea that sometimes we can get too carried away. Now I want to do that because this is actually a preamble to what I want to speak about next week. As you know, early in the year I felt God saying to me, I, I, I need to be um, focusing in our discussion points on faith and I need to do that until we actually exhaust the topic. Well, we've come nowhere close to exhausting the topic of faith. But I've also felt that I need to be very careful that I don't lead you into a position which is actually not biblical. And what I'm saying to you is that sometimes we can get so caught up with the message of faith, with the idea of healing, with the idea of financial abundance, that we can focus it all on ourselves. Or we can commit the heresy of believing that if someone isn't blessed, then they've fallen into sin. So I want to speak a little bit today about the dangers of error because we can get too focused on our own individual salvation and what Jesus achieved on the cross for me. It is important because God loves me. He is interested in every one of us as an individual and his desire is that we should all prosper. So I'm not attempting to undermine anything that we've spoken about in relation to faith this year. But I've been around Christian circles for a long time and I've seen people go off the rails and end up with an individual gospel, not a community gospel. The gospel is not intended for application for individuals alone. It's intended for application 
in community. And I will be focusing on that next week and possibly the week after. You know, one of the mistakes that the Jewish leaders, particularly the Pharisees, made was that they, they came to believe that if we observed blessing in somebody's life, then that meant they were being obedient to the law. Now, it would be easy to make that error because if you have a look in Deuteronomy 28, if you have a look in Malachi um, 3, verses 8 to 10, you will see there's a very, very clear link, and there are other references in, in the books of the law as well, but there's a very clear link between obeying the commands of God and enjoying his blessings. God says, if you will obey everything I command of you, then there's this whole range of blessing that will follow. Do you want to, yeah, good idea, David. Turn the light on. It's always better in the light, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, does it, do you want to turn it off again? <laughs> turn the light off again. I was actually sitting here wondering, gee, this is hard to read today. What's going on? <laughs> no, that's okay. It's quite okay. <clears throat> so the, the Pharisees had developed a wonky theology about obedience and blessing. Now, I might have said to you before, and I've said this in other, in other places, Satan isn't a big, fat liar. That's a big, fat lie. He doesn't have to be a big, fat liar. So he just has to deceive us a tiny little bit. And then over time, we deviate a long way from the truth of God's word. And, and by way of metaphor, I believe in the, in the first moonshot, they had to make corrections every 10 minutes or so. And even though they might have just been out by a tiny, tiny little bit at a particular point in the journey, had they not made the corrections, they would have missed the moon by thousands and thousands of kilometres because of 63,000 miles. I don't know how many kilometres it is. Is that right, Dave? 63,000 miles to the moon? Yeah, pretty close. So it's about 100, but it's a long way, right? So if you make a tiny deviation, over time, you're going to actually miss it by a long way. And that, that's what the devil does. So he took, he took the religious leaders in, in, in uh, Israel and he kind of convinced them that because God said, remember, he said to Eve, did God say? I mean, this is the way the devil works. Because God said, if you obey me, I will bless you. Therefore, if you're not blessed, you must be in disobedience. Remember? No, I'll come to that in a minute. No, no, Ainsley, that was really cheeky. Did you hear what Ainsley said? She said he doesn't remember. <laughs> no, I do remember. I'm going to come to it in a minute. I'm going to come to it in a minute. Um, now, we might think, well, those silly Pharisees, you know, they had the Word of God, they should have understood the Word of God better. But we actually see the same kind of thinking sometimes in the church, and it's actually called syncretism where you take biblical Christianity and you plant 
or you transplant into biblical Christianity some other belief system. And although in Christian circles today we, we tend not to um, speak in terms of the word obedience, we use faith instead. How many times have you heard it said someone wasn't healed because they didn't have enough faith? Or someone isn't being blessed financially because they don't have enough faith? See, that's actually a heresy. You need faith to be healed. You need faith to prosper financially. But the thing about the Christian life is that Often the opposite does not apply. And see, when I observe somebody who's not enjoying financial prosperity or who's not receiving their healing, I do not conclude that it's because of a lack of faith. Remember, Jesus Christ told us we were going to be persecuted in this life. Who's the biggest persecutor? Satan. Who's the one who tries to rob and to kill and to destroy? So when, when Mark received news that he needed a stent, which he didn't in the end, praise the Lord. But when he received that news, does that mean he was a sinner? No. Does that mean he didn't have faith? No. Not necessarily. <laughs> you, so, you see, we can't... We can't Make the opposite apply to the truth of God, if you understand what I'm saying. And so if someone, in a sense, isn't making it, sure, we don't conclude that they're not in obedience because we don't live under the law anymore. But I've heard it said many, 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 many times, that person must lack faith. Well, you can't even really lack faith because the Bible says we've been given the Measure of faith. Neil's got the same measure of faith that I have. Gina's got the same measure of faith that Pamela has. Because God doesn't give some of us more faith than others. Now some of us might be able to apply our faith more effectively because we've exercised it over a period of time. But, you know... Mum, we just heard Mum, Jeanette, uh, speak the name Joey. You know that, that Joey was actually born with a defect. Sorry, I think that's exactly what Is that what they're talking about? about? So, you see, does that mean that Emma lacked faith? Not at all. Not at all. But listen to the testimony that they have. It's a testimony of the application of faith because he amazed the medical experts with his recovery after his operation. Now, sure, we would prefer it if he didn't have to have an operation. But the reason he had an operation, I would submit to you, had nothing to do with a lack of faith. So one of the traps we can fall into, this, this syncretism, is that we, we graft on to the gospel of faith the idea that success and faith go together but if we see the symptoms of a lack of success, that automatically means someone doesn't have faith. It's the same trap that the Pharisees fell into when they observed the poor. And the reason why most people were poor 
in Jesus' time was that they were under the thumb not only of the Romans but of their religious leaders. Remember in John 9, and this is where the remember comes in, so I didn't forget Ainsley. I just put it in the wrong place. <laughs> so I did forget to put it in the right place. <coughs> remember the, blind, the, the, the man born blind and the disciples actually asked Jesus, was it this man's sin or was it the sin of his parents that caused him to be born blind? And Jesus said, well, it was neither. And then he actually used it as a basis for teaching something about the kingdom of heaven. Now, actually, actually, if we are to prosper, do you know what the Bible tells us? Yes, sure, we, we can build a pretty solid uh, doctrine about faith and blessing. But do you know what the real key is? And you need faith to actually implement this key. It's in Matthew 6, verse 33. Does anybody know what that says? I do, because I looked it up. It's okay, it's okay. Seek first, seek first the kingdom of God. Now it takes faith to do that, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Okay? So seek first the kingdom. You do need faith in order to do that because your circumstances will often put or point you in a different direction. So you've got to constantly exercise your faith to be seeking the kingdom. But seek the kingdom first. The second point I want to make is that sometimes we can end up falling into the trap. We might not believe this, but we act as if it's true that it's all for me. That the gospel is all about me. There's a radio station in Brisbane called 4BC for me. I think there might be a T. Is there a TV channel of the same name now? Yeah. TV for me or something. It's called something like that. So, so focused on the me. Now, I actually think that that's one of the one of the hallmarks, one of the traits of modern secular humanism, which. I would actually argue deifies, that makes a God out of self. And we become very, very self-centred. I just want to read to you from um, Haggai chapter 1. It's way up near the end of the Old Testament. Second last book in the Old Testament. I think Ainsley learned all the books of the, of the Bible she used to sing a song about it no it's not the last one it's the third last one I will put my glasses on for this because I can't read this font one of the reasons why I print out many of my scriptures is I can print them in a font large enough to read without having to put my glasses on <laughs> Listen, listen to this. Uh, I'll just read from verse 2 uh, down to verse 11. So God is speaking to the people through the prophet Haggai. 
Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I might take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withheld the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labour of your hands. Now that's interesting, that expression, the labour of your hands, because back in uh, Deuteronomy 28, God says, If you obey me, I will... Well, he says, I will open my treasure, the windows of heaven, and I'll pour out the rain on your crops in due season, and I will bless the works of your hand, you see. But here we have a people who have got to the point where they think this covenant is for them individually. And yes, that's true, but the lie is that it's not for community. And the whole point about the temple, apart from the fact that, that it, it um, you know, focused people on worshipping God, it brought the community together because it was the focus of all those activities that God had instituted to unite the community. But instead, people were saying, no, this is all about me. I've got my house. I'm doing stuff for my house. But they neglect, and it's not just the fact that they hadn't physically built the temple. That doesn't really matter all that much. The fact was they neglected the important notion that we thrive in community. And here we have a people focused on themselves, they're not thriving as community. And when we take the gospel of uh, prosperity, you know, abundant life, healing, financial blessing. When we take that and fall into the deceit of believing that it's all about me, then we're actually taking something away from God's truth. Because it isn't all about me. In fact, me, bad English, but me does not thrive when me focuses on me. We're actually designed by God to thrive in community. And if you have a look through the law of the Old Testament, so much of it was built around the notion of all of Israel coming together, worshipping together, tithing together, bringing offerings and sacrifice together. And together meant your whole household, which was your own family, 
all your servants, and actually your animals as well. That, that, that's how much community meant to God. So it, it wasn't so much about the physical building. I know I've heard preachers use this to say, you know, you should be doing more for the local church, and that's probably true, but I actually think there's a lot more in it. This is not just about building the local church. The, the physical building is important, but it's not the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is about us being one together. And so we need to be very careful that you know, although healing and prosperity, it is important, and God wants to see every single one of us, every single family blessed, we have to be very careful that Satan doesn't deceive us into believing that it is for us, or that if we observe someone else who's not thriving, that it's because they don't have enough faith. That on its own is a heresy because we've all been given the measure of faith. Some, some of us perhaps need to practice our faith a little more than we do. The other thing that can sometimes happen when we get too carried away with the kinds of messages that I've been sharing this year is that we can fall into the trap of believing that grace covers everything. Well, it does. The problem is, however, that sometimes we can believe it's okay not to live according to God's word because we're covered by grace. I've said to you before that the grace of God actually means that our sins past, present and future have been dealt with. If they had not been dealt with at the cross, then Jesus would have to come again and be sacrificed again. We know he's coming again, but he's not going to be sacrificed. So if Jesus didn't die for our future sins, then he didn't die once for all. Do you see that? The problem that we have with this, however, is that sometimes people think, or Christians think, well, actually, it doesn't really matter if I don't deal with this area of sin in my life because grace covers it. Now, grace does cover it. But let me tell you, if you don't deal with it, when the Holy Spirit convicts you that you need to do something about an area in your life, if you don't respond, you're effectively saying, well, I'm just going to come out from under the covering of God. Paul addressed this in Romans 6 because, and, and look, this is when people still had a living memory of Jesus, right? When, when Paul's writing, it's within a couple of decades, two or three decades, or it might be a little bit more than that, but within, at most, four five decades of Jesus actually living on the earth many of the people to whom Paul was writing would definitely have known of Jesus they might have seen him they might have been ministered to by him personally and yet so soon after Jesus had left the earth and gone to heaven this idea crept in that, you know, we can do anything we like because we're covered by grace. 
I remember being really shocked once when uh, I spoke to someone who was in a, a reasonable, reasonably significant leadership role in a church. They were on a worship team. And uh, he said to me, I said, well, what do, you, what do you do on a Saturday night? And he said, oh, I usually go to the club and find someone to have a fight with. And I, what? Excuse me? Yes, he's covered by grace. But my goodness me, what, what kind of ambassador of Christ is someone like that? I've, I've said before, you know, going to clubs and so on, it's not a sin. If you came and asked me what my opinion was, I would say it's unwise. It's always unwise to put yourself in an environment where you might either be tempted or whether you might actually come to harm. But to deliberately go and do something that you must know is contrary to the nature of God and then expect to be covered by grace, well, to say the least, is pretty stupid. Ignorant. The question that Paul asked was, should we sin to our heart's content since we're no longer under law? Well, he asked the question and he provides the answer. So right at the beginning of Romans chapter 6, this is what he says, and I'm reading from the Passion Translation. So what do we do then? Do we persist with sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? Because just previously he's talking about the increase in the grace of God as sin increased more and more in the world. What a terrible thought! We have died to sin once and for all as a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? And then a little bit, I won't read the whole passage, but a little bit further on in verse 15, he says, what are we to do then? Should we sin to our heart's content? Since there's no law to condemn us anymore. What a terrible thought. Some translations say, far be it from me to think this way. So we are covered by grace. Our sins yesterday, today and tomorrow are covered by grace. But it's no excuse for us to sin. You know, at the time of the Reformation in the, in the Catholic Church, it was possible to, to buy penance. You could, you could actually go and, before you committed a sin, <laughs> you could actually buy forgiveness. A total misunderstanding of the grace of God. And, make, and it's worse even when you, you pay for it and think that, that you, pay, you pay money for it and I think that that somehow makes it right. But you know what? In a, in a couple of hundred years, people might look back at some of the misunderstandings, even heresies that are in the church today and think, how could they have been so silly? Do you see that? And I, I for one, am grateful that all my sins past, present and future are covered 
by the grace of God. God who sent his son to die once and for all that my sins might be forgiven. But we need also to understand that he died once and for all, not just so that my sins might be forgiven, but so that I actually might be freed from the slavery of sin, that I might be translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The thing is, you see, by the grace of God, we are saved from sin into righteousness and holiness. And you know, if all we understand by the gospel is that we're saved from sin, we don't have a full gospel. You see, we're saved from two. We're saved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so we need to cultivate a habit of acting as if we are living in the kingdom of light. Now to be freed uh, or saved from sin into righteousness. Again, righteousness is not something that we earn by our works. Righteousness is something conferred upon us through the grace of God. But holiness is a process. Uh, the Greek word which is translated holiness is also translated sanctification. And for those of you who have been around for a little while, you will know that the theologians talk about sanctification as being something that happens at the instant we're saved, but it's also a process over time. So God saves us for something. And to be sanctified or to become holy is all about us coming totally out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. See, when we're saved... It is our spirit that is regenerated. So when the Bible says we're translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that's our spirit. We have to make certain that our body and our soul catch up with our spirit. So we have to allow the spirit inside us to invade and take over our soul and our body and, as it were, drag our soul out of the kingdom of darkness. So if we have convinced ourselves that by grace we don't actually have to address those issues of sin in our lives that the Holy Spirit is highlighting, then we're really not dragging our soul out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we're deceived. So holiness, sanctify, it's a process that the Holy Spirit takes us through over time, And if you observe me 10 years from now, you should be able to say, Rod is more holy than he was 10 years ago. Now, I hope you might be able to say that. <laughs> Praise God, I'll have the good sense to literally practice what I preach. But I wanted to take a little time today. And I'm not critical of ministries that focus on healing. I'm not critical of ministries that focus on grace. In fact, I personally support ministries that really focus on teaching those things because I believe that God has assigned those ministries to focus on those areas. 
But I, as I said, I have observed Christians over the last 30 years or so who have taken this message and become deceived. And as a result, they've developed a doctrinal position or developed theologies that are not actually consistent with the Word of God. Yes, as a church, we are for healing. We will stand with anybody for healing because we believe that healing is part of salvation. We'll stand with you for financial blessing. We will stand with you for social blessing, blessing in every area of your lives because it's God's heart. But we don't want you to be deceived by the lies of the devil that just take you a few degrees away from the truth and ultimately lead you into heresy. So we receive the grace of God. We receive his blessings with gratitude. But by the same token, we also want to make sure we understand very clearly the heart of God in the gospel. And what I've spoken of today is really preliminary because I want want to take us on and explore what it actually means to have a gospel of community. But you've got to come back next week because it'll be exciting.